This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, they have, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I as a CPA will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. Voice of America. Introduction to the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book by Jerry L. Rhodes, CPA and licensed healthcare administrator. This proposes a third political party. The American Enterprise Party represents enterprising Americans and privatized agencies that downsizes government and upsizes free market enterprise. With capitalism and socialism working together, to perpetuate the great American enterprise founded on policies that reduces laws, regulations, redundancy, debt, waste, and deficits by following generally accepted accounting principles to manage under constitutional government, government the finances and resources of our great American enterprise. The red capitalists and the blue socialist extremes will be pulled to the middle by the white stripe conservationists 
in the flag using generally accepted accounting principles to finance climate change, balance the books, pay down secured debt, budget for surpluses, pursue world peace, and solve the problems surrounding violence and poverty in the world. The cost of the American form of government is lost to concealing reality by cooking the books. Not all of the obligations are recorded as incurred and revenues are recorded in advance of being earned, uh, resulting in understating the cost of governance and overstating the amount of revenue collected for any period of time due to timing differences. The only source of information to answer the great questions are embodied in the debt clock, www.debtclock, maintained by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in New York City. It calculates the, ex the expenditures, tax receipts on generally accepted Well, I got lost there. Generally accepted accounting principles. First of all, do we have a true competitive two-party system? Or is it a purple blend of red and blue parties? We have three colors in the American flag, red and white stripes with blue field and white stars, stars and stripes forever. The red and the blue are represented in our political arena, but the white is not. It is not the color of the skin I'm talking about. It's the representation of colors of the enterprising Americans. America, the beautiful, is totally dependent on enterprising Americans to drive the economic and social systems forward. Thus, we need fair and effective leadership and representation of the small business owners, the hard workers, the wage earners, the providers of health care, the first responders, the elderly, the disabled, and the forgotten minorities that get merely lip service from the red and blue parties that control the budget and enforce the Constitution. We need a third party that advocates smaller government, fewer laws, and more free market enterprise, bringing capitalism and socialism together, together into a more productive and financially stable America. Such a party can become the swing vote on all economic and social problems by electing eight to 10 senators and 20 to 30 congressmen, forcing the left and right to come to the center, making much needed changes and solving of problems. This can be done with a paradigm shift from redundancy in state and federal government agencies to privatized entities working to properly capitalize America for competing with the worldwide marketplace. To accomplish this shift, we, the majority of voters must decide the following. Number one, how do we rate the performance of our current government and future government? Two, are we satisfied with the attorneys running our government, passing 10,000 10, laws per year across America? Three, can we support a government that creates trillion dollar deficits with every budget? Four, when will, we, when will we, we run out of money for paying Social Security benefits and Medicare obligations since they aren't even recorded on the books? Number five, how bad are the books being cooked by not recording our obligations using generally accepted accounting principles? Six, how will, how will we reduce the imbalance of trade with 
are worldwide competitors totaling $800 billion per year. For example, effectively, America is borrowing, mon borrowing money to import foreign products to consume while the exporting countries are making money by stealing American technology products, improving them, then duplicating them to, for export to America. This episode deals with these topics. The book, American Enterprise Manifesto, subtitled Downsize Government, Upsize Enterprise, was written in uh, over a period of 20 years from uh, 1991 to 2012, um, triggered by a thought process of offering alternatives to promises made by Republican Party and Democratic Party over the last 40 years. Uh, in effect, we've had socialism in our uh, political and uh, uh, congressional uh, process since uh, Roosevelt when he enacted the Great Society programs. <clears throat> in the American Enterprise Manifesto, we start delving into what impact that's had on us uh, in recent years and years to come. So to make this a little more organized, I want to uh, read from that book, uh, The American Enterprise Manifesto. <clears throat> In the preface, I write in part one about give me enterprise or give me debt, a takeoff of Patrick Henry's famous statement, give me liberty or give me death and a working subtitle of Give Me Liquidity or Give Me Debt, which uh, proposes in Chapter 11 a take-back of the value of the dollar by refinancing America into an equity-driven economy to save the American enterprise from bankruptcy. By reorganize our debt, reorganizing our debt-based economy into an equity-driven enterprise, as it was in the beginning, we emerge debt-free. For now, as money is, in, is the focus in our regulatory nightmare, with more and more infringement and new entitlements taking over the work ethic, we no longer work for ourselves. We work for the animal farm run by 545 politicians with the red and white, the red and blue parties, excuse me, fighting over power not solving budget deficits, nor leading us to protect our honor in the world. Therefore, in 1991, I began, to th began thinking about and writing about a viable third-party alternative based on the principles of enterprise, representing the freedom of peaceful coexistence with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all Americans, thereby publishing the American Enterprise Manifesto to propose solutions, not debate issues between the oxymoron two-party system we have evolved into. Not only is the 
not only is this an anomaly, it is intentional distraction used by the game of gang of 545 as a uh, control device to avoid true debate and the privacy of our uh, effective leadership. In part two, I write about worker apathy and how to restore the American work ethic. Where, oh, where has it gone? It is focused on improving our in- output by revamping our input of human capital values. Work for the sake of pride and the quality of life, not for the sake of money and job security. As for my work ethic, I have owned small businesses for 36 years that I have started from scratch, creating jobs and envisioning better management systems and methods for principally healthcare facilities. I have never been unemployed, never drew unemployment or workman's comp and have missed no time from my small business in 36 years. I have either been extremely lucky or an image of my father, a great, common, everyday blue-collar, enterprising American who worked in the Firestone factory in Des Moines, Iowa, for 32 years. And even today, I remember accompanying my father to union meetings and being influenced by... by, uh, him being a factory worker, and for myself, when I was employed by Firestone one summer. Those images were in our, the foundation of the work ethic we seem to have lost, and the scenario, scenario I propose as the solution to the demise of the American work ethic, victim of the new entitlements. As the author of the American Enterprise Manifesto, I am a product of a small farm community in Iowa that was called God's Little Acre in the 1940s. As a totally dry town that even frowned on smoking and most certainly did not condone teen pregnancies or divorce or divorces of any family. We had no minorities of color or religion. We were all poor to almost poor, redneck, white trash by today's standards. But out of that, culture grew common sense and hard work. My dad was an example of someone who had never was never unemployed, never drew unemployment, never missed work, but went on strike every union contract year for months on end to make sure they protected their promised benefits that they never eventually got. He, at the age of 18, and his two brothers had to leave the farm in 1929 during the Great Depression when there was no grain for crops and no food for eight children to ride the rails across America. His stories about working for a dollar per day with a uh, noon meal, sleeping in hobo camps along the way, drinking moonshine for survival, riding the, riding the rails across America, then returning to the farm when they heard that the depression was over. All of these adventures were featured in a recent HBO documentary about the Great Depression of 1929, making him the man he was, a man of work that never swore in his family's presence, never drank, 
and his family's presence, never wanted any responsibility and never missed work. The Iowa work ethic of old. I learned much from him that makes me what I am today and much that I reject as well, including pure social socialist, liberal or libertarian principles. Is this just conservatism and and a different, um, in, in a different twist? No, that is not my intent. I want more freedom to choose, yes, but within the structure of government of the people, for the people, by the people, not just me for me, but because of me. My father once said Firestone was stupid because they paid union wages for piecework, then had their ignorant management uh, manage or retime the jobs. So we made half as much as we used to. Then we would work half a day and still make our quotas. He also was at the end of the quality control line checking steel belted tires for defects when production managers decided to lower the quality standards to reduce the waste and defective tires. So defective tires were pushed through until Firestone was destroyed by lawsuits when the defective tires blew out and Bridgestone, a Japanese company, acquired Firestone. After 32 years, Dad retired at the age of 64 and sat in his chair for the final 18 years drawing Social Security and no pension, finally dying in a nursing home at the age of 82. So being an entrepreneur in America and a small business owner myself, why would I venture into the buzzsaws of conventional wisdom dominated political pundits who intellectually spout theory as facts and facts is the domain of, of the Congress, the elite, the media, and never putting forth the voice of the silent majority. CNN, Fox News, MSN, NBC, conservative radio, liberal leanings of the celebrities are not uh, reporting the depth or breadth of America's decline. They are, in fact, the beneficiary of the hardworking, enterprising majority who do not have a voice. I, as an unknown non-intellectual, will be accused of being unqualified politically negative on America and idealistic on foreign affairs. Right front, from right up front, I want to state that America, in my view, is the greatest example of capital-driven enterprise ever known to man and woman, including the British Empire, the past German and current Chinese versions. However, all good things come to an end and unless there is a revitalization of the principles that got us here. So much of the book is based on factual data and statistical statistics gleaned over a number of years as I wrote manuscripts regarding the need for political and government reform to ensure we worship enterprise rather than institutional money. In my research, I found that certain individuals have contributed to contrasting opinions that become movements and did solve social and economic problems. Why? Because they were first of all 
superior leaders, and second, dedicated to preserving the past and conserving the future. To continue, uh, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were two such leaders of conservatism that inspired me to write this book proposing that we restore old American style enterprise that evolved out of the slave supported plantations and agrarian farm communities into the cities of industrial blue collar workers and profit seeking white collar business owners serving our academic universities and institutions. But now such academic laws and PhD regulators are stifling our effectiveness to utilize uh, what we what we learn from the universities and colleges with without allowing the private sector to manage the impl implementation. Because of this infringement of big institutional government on individual creativity and freedoms for the sake of control by the bigger and bigger universities and institutions, we're hampered by our own incompetence. To alter this Roma's burning mentality, we have to have a balance of the private sector and public institutions, or we will evolve into a world of continued declining initiative and more divorces of thought and families. We need to realize that reality does not create us. We create reality with common sense solutions to problems, not just debating political issues. We can learn much from Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan in their campaign to have government protect us, not run our lives, as opposed to what Karl Marx stood for in his Communist Manifesto. For example, Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of, of England from 1979 to 1990, I quote from her, there is no such thing as society. There are individual men and women, and there are families. I also, she said, if you just set out to be liked, you would be prepared to compromise on anything at any time, and you would achieve nothing. Also, also she said, it is not the creation of wealth that is wrong, but the love of money for its own sake. Margaret Thatcher, if you recall, dealt with similar economic problems in England that America now has. As, and she is the leader of the Conservative Party from 1975 to 1990 and Prime Minister from 1979 to 1990. She was an advocate of privatizing state-owned businesses and utilities reforming trade unions, uh, lowering taxes, and, and reducing social expenditures across the board. Thatcher's politics succeeded in reducing inflation, but unemployment dramatically increased 
during her years in power. However, it was her leadership that directed the British away from socialism back to capitalizing on enterprising workers for the sake of the country's future. The movie about the Iron Lady, which I suggest you watch, did not give justice to Margaret Thatcher's influence in making one of the most significant socioeconomic changes of all time. Since she died in April of 2012, we are not getting to get or not going to have her counsel or involvement in world economic or enterprise. So in, in America, in her memory, we must challenge big government and the socialist form of democracy at all times. She and Ronald Reagan had a bond based on America's philosophy that the individual makes the society. The society does not make the individual. It is such leaders we have to revere and not be deterred by spend doctors and lobbyists. Ronald Reagan, as president of the United States from 1981 to 1989, told us entrepreneurs and their small enterprises are responsible for almost all of the economic growth in the United States. He also said government exists to protect us from each other, where government has gone beyond its limits is in deciding to protect us from ourselves. Government does not solve problems, it subsidizes them. Government's first duty is to protect the people, not run their lives. Ronald Reagan, on his eight-year watch, was following a one-term Democrat, Democratic president in Jimmy Carter, who pushed American business to the brink with his 23% Keynesian prime rate of interest to quell record inflation and destroyed the savings and loan business businesses forever. President Reagan was lucky to inherit Alan Greenspan as the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, who <clears throat> by chance had ultra-conservative libertarian leanings. President Reagan also engaged Dr. Arthur Laffer, uh, who, a PhD who became the father of supply-side economics as his chief advisor on taxation, who then with Republican House put trickle-down economics into action. With the interest rates and monetary system in check and taxes being cut, small businesses were relieved of debt and created products and profits at a record pace. Unemployment declined, but still the deficits rose. Unfortunately, Bush Senior following Reagan, who was a civil certain servant, not an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, who famously said, read my lips, no tax increases, and then proceeded to increase taxes to his demise. Then Bill Clinton, the smooth-talking salesman, had the country in a developmental mode until the high-tech bubble burst. All the while, conservatives on the Republican side acquiesced to a staggering war budget and a fiscal depression under Bush Jr., selling out a protectionist government, pursuing a one-world version of liberty. Then Obama, a liberal constitutional professor and 
and street attorney rides in on his oratory ability right in the middle of a depression and worsens it with misguided $700 billion stimulus package for the bailout of large banks and big businesses financed by China and and imposes the, the biggest entitlement of all time, Obamacare, that may well be the de- demise of the great American enterprise and its 77 million retiring unhealthy baby boomers. Reagan, Ronald Reagan again says, above all, we must realize that no arsenal or arsenals of the world is so formidable as is not is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. To be able to give a a, a contrast, Karl Marx, uh, who wrote the Communist Manifesto in 1848, put forth his 10 steps necessary to destroy capitalism and the free enterprise system and replace it with a system of omnipotent government power so as to affect a communist social state. Unfortunately, many Americans are being transformed into a communist state of mind by myths, fraud, and deception under the color of law by their own politicians, Republican, Democrat Party, Democratic parties alike. Karl Marx, in creating the Communist Manifesto, designed the Ten Planks as a test, as a test to determine whether a society is becoming communist or not. The Ten Planks stated in the Communist Manifesto and some of their American counterparts in parentheses are... Number one, abolish abolish private property and the application of all rents of land to public purposes. Uh, eminent domain lost to federalization of property is, is the example of, of this being done in our society. Number two, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Graduated taxation on adjusted gross income is is his proposal. Abolition of all rights of inheritance. His inherit the inheritance or death tax is a way to abolish all rights of inheritance. Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Laws preventing aliens from owning property. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank and state capital and exclusive monopoly. The Federal Reserve Bank is is how that's being done. Centralization of the means of communication and transportation in the hands of the state, such as the FCC. Seven. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state, bringing uh, the bringing into civilization of waste, waste the no the cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. Uh, that would be the economic EEOC. Uh, implementation of control of the of the 
wetlands. Equal liability of all labor establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. This is an example of the, NN, N, the NLRB and unionization of labor. Constitution, com combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between, between town and country by more equitable distribution of population over the country, such as corporate conglomerates with farm quotas and subsidies. Number 10, free education for all children in public schools, abolition of uh, children's factory labor in its present form, combination of uh, combination of education with individual production. This is an example of public education funded by property taxes, gambling taxes, low, uh, Powerball, and Lotto. All I'm trying to do present to, to present here is that under these ten planks, we've evolved into institutional uh, departments of government that are in basically destroying capitalism and the whole concept of free enterprise. The progressives or politicians that call themselves pro progressives or socialists of the 21st century who seem to believe in socialistic and neo-communist concepts, especially those who pass more and more laws implementing these ideas are contradicting their oath of office and to the Constitution of the United States of America. None are more hopelessly enslaved as those who falsely believe that they, that they are right and, and free. Previously, I uh, referred to the gang of 545 uh, individuals who basically control and um, direct 330 million people towards certain uh, destinations. The following is quoted from a newspaper article published in the Orlando uh, Sentinel. It's called 545 versus 300 million people by Charlie Rose. This was a internationally published uh, uh, article that was distributed all over the world. The first point is politicians are the only people in the world that create problems and then campaign against them. Number two, have you ever wondered if both the Democrats and the Republicans are against deficits? Why do they have to, why do we have deficits? Number three, have you ever wondered if all the politicians are against inflation and high taxes? Why do we have inflation and high taxes? Number four, you and I don't propose a federal budget. The president does. Number five, you and I don't have the constitutional authority to vote on appropriations. The House of Representatives does. Number six, 
you and I don't write the tax code. Congress does. Number seven, you and I don't set fiscal policy. Congress does. Number eight, you and I don't control monetary policy. The Federal Reserve Bank does. Nine, the gang of 545, which equals 100 senators, 435 congressmen, and one, uh, one president, and nine Supreme Court justices, equates to 545 human beings out of 300 plus million who are all, uh, uh, directly, legally, morally, and individually responsible for the domestic problems that plague the country. Why, then, would we believe that they can solve them? See the complete article by the journalist Charlie Rose in Chapter 10 of uh, the American Enterprise Manifesto. Think about it. Our college debt is more than our uh, credit card debt. Since education is the route out of debt, Catch-22 has just caught up with the graduates who find, cannot find a job or make their payments. 20, um, 2011 unemployment rate for ages 25 to 34 was 26.2%. The future is now or else for enterprising Americans to stand up for equality or we will fall for anything. Together we can prevail, divided we have fallen prey to the two-party system of huge government control. I continue. In the foreword, uh, I write, money is the fuel that drives the great, inter the great American enterprise system. It's also the pendant of power that is the celebration of success or the crucifixion of our society's values as our mores and ethics become secondary to its use. What is our national net self? What is our national self-worth, self-health, self-image net worth? Is it being misspent on power and control by few? Can we sustain our national success when the few make promises they don't keep? Net worth or GNP or GDP are measures of our country's successes and failures when we evaluate our leaders. How do you rate them? Are you happy and confident that the American enterprise is in good hands? Let's spend the next few hundred pages measuring our leaders' performance for a change. First of all, net worth being a measure of performance is defined as assets valued at the lower of cost or market value minus liabilities valued at the higher of cost or contingency. This formula is based on GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, using the accrual basis of accounting. While taxes for individuals are generally paid on the cash basis, which is collected income minus paid out allowable expenses, or we call it adjusted gross income, which is far different from net worth. Corporations, on the other hand, generally report taxable income using generally accepted accounting principles minus tax credits and accelerated depreciation methods. The United Nations est estimates that America's net worth, including its human capital, 
was $118 trillion in 2008, which is 25.4% of worldwide net worth, 21.9% of worldwide GDP. Household net worth was estimated to be $54.2 trillion in 2009. 84% of that is controlled by 24% of the wealth-based Americans, with Bill Gates, $66 billion, down from $89 billion, and Warren Buffett, $50 billion, down from $65 billion, the wealthiest individuals. The wealthiest corporations are Exxon at $500 billion and Walmart at $600 billion with the Walton family heirs worth as much as the bottom 41.5% of Americans' Americans' net worth. In this book that follows, it is proposed that any level of taxation based on adjusted gross income for individuals and net taxable income for corporation cannot and does not generate enough revenues to support government half its current size. This is because governmental accounting is not based on GAAP, but on the cash basis. What this does is allows government to understate its deficits and overstate its surpluses. This illusionary method records the revenues that are accelerated using estimated taxes for the next year as current revenue and defers the recording of the cost of budget expenses until they are paid. In other words, it overstates revenue that is yet to be earned, and understates expenses by only recording them when paid, not when they are owed. For example, unfunded pension costs that have been earned by government employees are not recorded until paid, as is the case for entitlements. Therefore, the current federal budget is cooking the books for every governmental unit far short of the real deficit, $123 trillion actual versus $17 trillion that is reported. While the annual excess of accrued expenses over earned revenues is minus $25 trillion per year, though reported as $1.3 trillion. It's reported as a negative $1.3 trillion. This being the true situation demands what is called a quasi-reorganization to avoid bankruptcy. Under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy bankruptcy Law, individuals, corporations, and other entities are allowed to organize their finances as they can avoid, so they can avoid dissolution. The court appoints a trustee, directs the entity to propose a plan that will pay down its accrued debt first, then use whatever is left to pay off the unsecured. Uh, no, it's secu- uh, to pay down a secured debt first, then use whatever is left to pay all the unsecured creditors and investors. It also requires in the plan an infusion of new capital for allowing the entity the resources and time to go forward with its business in a responsible manner. This perpetuates the entity for producing future profits and putting it on a sound financial footing. According to uh, the experts, governments cannot go bankrupt, but that has been bypassed by certain uh, cities and governments 
filing for Chapter 10 of bankruptcy. In this book, it is proposed that government at all levels is insolvent due to their using cash basis accounting methods and accumulating deficits. They can never liquidate, even with tax increases, without quasi-reorganization, meaning more capital and less debt. To provide my to prove my point, take a look at San Bernardino in Detroit. This capital can be generated by increasing taxes, cutting the size of its payroll and over and overhead down to a break-even point, and finding investors that will put capital into the entity to allow time to reduce its costs and generate the true surplus. Increasing taxes is perpetuating the problem since it takes capital out of the American enterprise for non-revenue-producing overhead costs. Therefore, the only viable and accelerated method to put the enterprise government at all levels and parent, parent government at all levels, parent, back on its feet is to generate more capital to give, a, give it time to downsize government and upsize business so the jobs are truly created and the profits and tax payers can increase earned revenues to pay accrued costs. Then the current net worth of the enterprise parent individuals and corporations, including not-for-profit institutions, must be utilized in the reorganization. Using a flat 5% assessment on current net worth of individuals and corporations to generate the capital while eliminating taxes on adjusted gross income altogether for five years will put $25 trillion in the coffers. This can be used for paying down government debt while we privatize half of the federal agencies that will become tax-paying entities staffed by the private sector unemployed and the public sector employees as accountable businesses run by the shareholders. This puts taxable income for the future into the hands of the producers, not the regulators.